Turn with me in your Bibles, if you will, to Luke's Gospel, chapter 22. We'll pick up where we left off, verse 39 through 62 this morning, prepared for suffering. We'll cover uh, three paragraphs here, prayer, betrayal, and denial. Jesus was being prepared for this long before this day came. He referred to it throughout the scripture as his hour. My hour has not yet come. Well, now his hour has come, and we're going to uh, see how the Father prepared him. In the upper room right before he left to go out to the Garden of Gethsemane there on the Mount of Olives, he said this in regards to, obviously, in the context there of his uh, relationship with the Father and then also the coming of the Holy Spirit. But in John 14, 29, he says... And now I have told you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe. One of the wonderful things you and I have as believers is God shows us things to come. Things that are important, things that might be dangerous to us, things, areas where we might need to be careful. But he shows us not only that, but the works that he wants to do. He enlightens us. He shows us things to come. That's the advantage we have being Christians. We have the Holy Spirit. And he's good about that. He, uh, especially when it comes to things that are, you know, maybe dangerous or harsh. I mean, if you're listening sometimes, you ever notice that, you, and this is sort of trivial maybe, is like, oh, I shouldn't do that because if I did that, then this might happen. And then you sort of just blow it off and then you go ahead and do it. And like, oh, I knew that was going to happen. <laughs> well, what do you think that is? That's what I'm talking about. It's, it's subtle. And it's supernaturally natural. But God teaches us how to be sensitive and listening. And I'm glad that he's good about showing us things to come. Uh, this hour uh, that has now come about for Jesus, he knew that these sufferings were coming. He knew what it involved. He understood crucifixion developed by the Romans. He knew what happened to criminals uh, in the Roman uh, Empire. And he's going through this great trial, and he's not taken by surprise uh, by what the establishment has, has done. He wasn't taken back or surprised by the way the disciples conducted themselves. He wasn't impressed or depressed because of the crowds, because he knew that they could be swayed in one direction or the other. And this is what God teaches us as believers, that we keep our eyes upon him, that we focus upon him, and we walk in the path that he's chosen for us. The Bible says that Jesus knew what was in man. We all have good intentions, but sometimes good intentions turn out to be disastrous, don't they? do they not? In John 2, 24 and 25 says, Jesus did not commit himself to them. They were coming, they wanted to make him king on their terms. But he knew all men, and he had no need that anyone should testify of him. He knew what was in man. It'd be control A. Uh, that's a code word for the guy at the back. Put him up on the screen. <laughs> so let's look at verse 39, and if you'll stand with me as I read uh, the first paragraph here kind of truncate it for time's sake here. 
And coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives, and it was his, as he was accustomed. And his disciples also followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he with, was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer and had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. And then he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Amen. You may be seated. The word, the word of the Lord. Now, so we find ourselves coming to the garden here. Now, I love gardens. I think gardens are cool. Uh, there are a variety of different gardens, flower gardens, vegetable gardens, all kinds of gardens. But the thing about gardens, no matter which kind of garden it may be, they reflect the... In, Genuity and creative genius of God. You know, we find, and I do, I find it enriching to walk through the garden and sort of look at the flowers, though they're so delicate, the intricacy that they're made. And you just look at that and you just think, that just didn't happen. Somebody had to think that through. And it's just a good experience for us to look at the nature that. God has created for us, the sights, the smells, they're just, it really has a way of lifting your spirits if you begin to get outside yourself and examine what God has made. And it seems to me that gardens are really about communion with God. Uh, remember, this whole thing started in a garden, did it not? Um, God created us for fellowship. He wants that intimate personal relationship with each one of us. We know it was broken by sin. Jesus is now here in another garden to fix that problem. This garden that he has entered, the Garden of Gethsemane, is a place of work. It's where the olive berries were crushed to obtain the olive oil that the culture used so much of. And we know that Gethsemane, most of us have probably read through this passage and looked at it, ourselves a little bit, but Gethsemane means <clears throat> oil press, and Jesus himself is about to be pressed beyond measure for the sake of his people. One commentator wrote in regard to this garden, he said, the early Christians conceived Gethsemane as being analogous of the Garden of Eden and the divine plan for human redemption, the sinful actions of the first Adam was contrasted with the prayerful obedience of the second Adam, Jesus Christ. And we would agree with that. In this setting, uh, this Garden of Gethsemane, we are looking at the place of crushing. And what's about to come forth in this place of crushing is a beautiful fragrance of surrender. This is Jesus coming full circle as a man and being completely surrendered to the will of his Father. He set the example for us. This is the beautiful fragrance that comes about in our lives as we're broken and contrite before God. And we 
begin to yield off the power and strength of the sin nature that so binds us to the earth. And we let go and we surrender. This is a beautiful crushing fragrance, as it were, to the Father. It would be a good time, maybe this week, to read through Isaiah 53 because it sort of goes through this whole agony that Jesus endured. And I'll just read it from Isaiah 53, 10 and 11 to sort of go along with this beautiful surrender, this crushing that was about to take place in the life of Christ. Verse 53, 10 and 11 of Isaiah says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed and prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities. You and I are here in this sanctuary this morning because Jesus Christ has borne our iniquities. He has taken his sin... And our sin upon himself. He has no sin. He has taken our sin upon himself. He who knew no sin became sin for us. As we begin to break down this package here in verse 39 and 40 in particular here. Pray that you enter not into temptation. Not only pray that you don't enter it, but pray that you avoid temptation as we see here at the end there. Prayerfulness, which really means regular, consistent prayer. Uh, Paul referred to it as pray without ceasing. This is the greatest weapon we have against temptation. Of course, the opposite of that is sometimes easier to understand, prayerlessness. (laughs) We're defenseless against temptation without prayer. You know, the temptation to do something other than which is right is natural for us. And actually, that temptation to do wrong is strengthened by our negligence of prayer. Because our fleshly nature is contrary to the Lord, it's easy for us to to fall into that trap. But what Jesus is going through, and what we've read here, and what's been described to us, is this great spiritual warfare that's taking place. There's activity in the unseen realm that we cannot see with our eyes. What was going on, and we'll describe a little bit of that as we proceed here. We're, we ourselves, we wonder, sometimes you, haven't you had these experiences where like, wow, that was really weird. What is going on? Wait, hold on. Something's amiss here. This is spiritual warfare. Duh, right? You know, kind of like after a, a few hits with that, you kind of like, wait a minute. This, is, this isn't normal. And, and as we're in this cosmic battle, this battleground uh, with the enemies that we cannot see with our eyes, but we can sense in our spirits. And, and the encouragement we should have is, greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. And we are to take the full armor of God unto ourselves as we fight this battle. Jesus was fully clothed with the armor of the Father when he entered into that garden. And he was ready for the cosmic battle. And he won. He overcame. The battle of the cross was not won on the cross. It was run right here. 
If we're going to overcome and bear our crosses because we're on our knees before God. We've learned how to petition and draw his, upon his grace. So you see, praying to the Lord strengthens us. It allows God to open the floodgates of heaven and pour out his grace, which we need in which we find our strength. And it's our responsibility to do that. It's our responsibility to exercise our free will and call upon his name. He promised never to leave or forsake us. He's always with us. But there, if you really want the fullness of what God has in the situation, you've got to call upon his name. He's a gentleman. You have not because you ask not, right? There is got to be this ongoing discourse within our lives that we are in constant communion with our Father. Lord, help me with this. Don't you find yourself doing that throughout the day when you get into a pickle or some kind of a situation that's, oh my goodness, maybe it's traffic. <laughs> oh, Lord. Not, not just a parking place. I'm talking about people that are nuts when they drive. Like, whoa, you know, I pray for protection, right? But it's our personal responsibility to pray, to call upon his name. But notice in verse 41 that he withdrew from the disciples. There has to be this time of separation. It has to be more than just praying on your way to work or on your way to wherever. There has to be this time of separation where you get alone with the Father. And this is what Jesus is teaching us here, a time of separation. You know, you ever caught yourself lifting something that you're, uh uh-oh, this is way heavier than I thought it would be. It's a value. I can't just drop it although I'd like to, but it, and you're looking, if someone was just there it, to help me, and quickly I could set this down and, and you know, get out of this situation. You know, and that's why our brothers and sisters are there for us, but there's some burdens that we do have to bear alone. You know, it's easy to just go dump on somebody else and help them carry the load, but Sometimes it's ordained that you carry the load and you take it to the Lord alone. And this is what Jesus is doing. He's withdrawn, and this is the only reason we would separate from fellowship, is that we need to get alone with the Lord and it's between him and us alone. Eventually, it'll come to that, won't it? We're all going to go through the, the valley of the shadow of death alone. It's going to be between, be between you and your heavenly Father. It's just the way it is. And we should learn that throughout our life before we get to that point. Jesus wanted that private moment alone to sort of sort things out. And that's really what's happening during that time. When you and I withdraw and we, get, we just want to be alone in that private sea with the Lord, then we're, and we're looking over his word, what he might have to say about our situation. We're contemplating our thoughts. We're trying to, you know, where have I erred? What is right in this situation, what should be done? Should I go now? I'm praying for timing. I'm praying for understanding. All those are very important things, but they have to be done in privacy. So often, and what are we after? I mean, ultimately, I always say, "Well, we're after results." Oh, yeah, we, that's true. I like results when I pray. I'm not no different than the other guy, right? What we're after is God's will, because God's will brings God glory. And God's will is always the best thing for you and me. It's just the way it is. So we're, we're seeking God's will. Now, I know our fallenness is, it gets the best of us sometimes. One of the things that 
that, that unfortunately happens is that people use prayer to do what they want to do. Well, I prayed about it. Now, that's a verbal stiff arm as far as I'm concerned. Shut up. I don't want to hear anything else because I've already made up my mind. And I've kind of camouflaged it with, I prayed about it. So what you're telling me, what you're going to do, which sounds to me like contrary to the word of God, but you prayed about it, so that means you can do that. Okay. What do you, you know, how do you deal with that? You don't. That's called self-deception. I would hope people pray about everything that we do, right? But don't ever use prayer as an excuse to justify the decision you might make. You know, I'm looking to do the will of God, not my own will. Now, it sounds like to me, if there was another alternative plan that the father had not really shared with the son at this point, that there's a possibility he's, let's, let's go that route, Right? Lord, it's, if it's possible, if there is another way, is there a, do I have to drink this cup? Is there another option here? And that's what we're trying to find out. You know, sometimes the Lord does ask us to do things that are hard and difficult. I mean, life is hard. Life is difficult. Let's face it. No one's trying to sugarcoat this. It, we all have to make tough decisions sometimes. Life is hard. But just because it's hard, does that mean that, that God wouldn't want us to do it? Think about Ezekiel. Ezekiel 24, 15. He was told not to mourn or cry at the death of his wife. Let me read this. If this doesn't shake you to your core and, and touch you emotionally, check your heart, right? Listen to this. Also, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man... Behold, I take away I know some of you have gone through this. It's hard. It's hard. get there son of man behold I take away from you the desire of your eyes with one stroke yet you shall neither mourn nor weep nor shall tears run down Sigh in silence. Make no mourning for the dead. Bind your turban on your head. Put on your sandals on your feet. Do not cover your lips. Do not eat man's bread of sorrow. And so I spoke to the people in the morning. And that evening my wife died. And the next morning I did as I was commanded. That is brutal. That's hard. I don't know that anybody else that's ever been asked to do that. Now, God was using him in a very unique and special way to the nation of Israel. He was a national prophet and a spokesman for Yahweh. But imagine that 
and I was doing that in my own mind, as you personalize the scriptures, sometimes they just hit you, right? Yes, sometimes the will of God is hard. It was hard for Jesus. It can be hard for us. To drink the cup is what we're talking about here. And the cup in the Old Testament we know is a type of uh, a symbol of punishment and revenge. And so Jesus is about to drink the cup of God's revenge against the sin of mankind. That's the cup that was afforded to him. That punishment that we all deserved, he's now taking it. And sometimes when it is hard, guess what we get? We get more grace. An angel appeared to Christ and strengthened him. Those of us who pray and believe, you can pray, but do you believe? You actually exercise faith in your prayers. I am trusting you, Father. It doesn't matter what happens. I trust you. Whatever comes, let it come. Be that as it is. I am totally committed to what your will is. That's the mindset we have. The Bible tells us that Jesus set his face like flint. He made his decision. He's carrying himself through this, and now he's going through the crucible. Those who pray and believe will receive the needed grace to endure the suffering that life may present. The sufferings. Turn with me to Math, Mark's Gospel 14. Mark's Gospel 14, 33 through 36. This sort of describes, and again, I encourage you as you're reading through these passages, if there's a uh, in the synoptic, you know, you're bringing it together, you want to see it all, then read Matthew and read Mark and, and Matthew and put the whole package together and you can get a fuller picture so often by assembling the pieces, you know. But in Mark uh, 33, uh, he took Peter, James, and John and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. The word troubled, to be in extreme anguish, it was coming upon him. Just like when you're about to do that hard thing, we can relate. The anguish. Deeply distressed. To be alarmed. The darkness was closing in around him. Remember when Abraham offered up the sacrifice, he says to lay out it on the, on, out, and then the darkness fell. This is the hour of darkness. This is his hour. As Jesus said, the ruler of this world, this is his hour, and he is coming. He's deeply distressed and exceedingly sorrowful. He's overwhelmed. Well, God won't put on you more than you can handle. Where is that really written? I hear that a lot. I don't know that I totally agree with that. Paul was overwhelmed a lot, even right up to the point of death. Yes, God will allow us to be overwhelmed. We just pray that our faith would not fail in those hours, in those times. Jesus was exceedingly sorrowful. He was filled with sorrow, deeply grieved. In verse 44, and being in agony, great drops of blood were falling to the ground. You know, there's, you kind of think, again, uh, there's parallels with the curse and things that were mentioned in the early chapters of Genesis. 
3.19 of Genesis says, In sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of you you were taken, dust you are, dust you shall return. See, the blood is dripping on the ground because it's only the blood of Christ that can release us from the curse that is upon this earth. The earth doesn't produce like it should. Do you know the gardens that we have that are beautiful would be so much more glorious and luxurious were it not for the curse? See, not only does the blood of Jesus cover the curses upon our, in our fallen nature, it covers creation. You know, when you think about what happened in that moment of disobedience, man was separated from God. Man was separated from each other, our relationships. Now Adam and Eve are going to get into arguments. Oh, unfortunate. Adam is going to lose touch with nature. He's going to be out of touch, and the earth itself, cursed. Jesus, not only is dying to set us free, but he's going to set one of these days. He's going to set creation free. It's groaning along with us, is it not? It's only the blood of Jesus that can reverse the curse. Hebrews 5 describes this. This is verses 5, uh, Hebrews 5, 7, and 8. In the days of his flesh... When he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And it goes on to say, Do, have we yet resisted unto blood? Oh, the Lord, this is so hard. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard. Are we greater than our master? See, we learn to obey through sufferings. Well, if you just had enough faith, you wouldn't have to suffer. You know, if the Apostle Paul would have just had enough faith, he wouldn't have had to worry about that thorn in the flesh, the thing that he prayed three times for. Oh, God, take away this thing. And what did the Lord say to him? My grace is sufficient. For in grace, you receive the strength to make it through. That's a rough paraphrase. You see, it's grace that we need in our sufferings. And there's things that you and I cannot learn. We will never learn unless we drink the cup. Unless we take in and receive the calling upon our lives and to endure the suffering and the pain of what goes on in our lives. Nobody gets out of here pain-free. If you're expecting, well, if, you know, if I become a Christian, then you know, it should be a bed of roses. And see, a lot of people get offended by that. Why? Well, you know, I was living a pretty decent life until I accepted Jesus, and then all hell broke loose. Where's the blessing of God in this? And see, they don't understand that there's a warfare going on and the bad things that may be happening to you is because the enemy's assaulting you because now you become the apple of God's eye and he can't attack God. He can't hurt God physically or spiritually in any way. But he can attack what and who God loves. So what does he do? He comes after you because that's the only way he can get after God. And it's the only way he can, he can hurt the heart of God is to hurt you. Paul, persecuting the church when he was converted, what did the Lord say? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Hold on here. How is 
Paul persecuting Jesus. He's already dead and in heaven because he was killing Christians. That's how. That's how we know the enemy is attacking us to get at God. It's not about you and me, is it, really? It's about the glory of God. God has plans. God had purposes, and, and his promises require us to pray. And then really, when it comes down to, as we've read here, the, the result of prayer is godly fear. My respect, as I pray and connect with God, my respect level soars, and I, I've got to obey him. I've got to do what he's told me to do. We just must remember that suffering is part and parcel of the Christian life. Now, we know that what we've read here, that Jesus suffered beyond description and comprehension. Nobody is going to have to do what Jesus did, right? But we do have a pattern to follow. Just stick, stay the course. If we share in the sufferings of Christ, that means standing up for what's right, doing the right thing, though it may hurt. By doing what's right and being obedient to the faith, we are sharing in the sufferings. And if we share in the sufferings, guess what? We'll get to share in the glory. But that's on the other side. And that wonderful promise that we have. And Paul pulls it all together. I reckon that these present sufferings are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. We ain't seen anything yet, right? It's coming. And it's coming like a freight train and nobody's going to stop it. Hallelujah. But notice how Jesus prayed. And this is important. This, this should be incorporated into our lives. It's, just, it's not, you know, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray my soul to keep, you know. No, no. We're talking about how Jesus prayed. And if something really is important to you, does, it, does your spirituality and your spiritual walk matter to you? It should. Your next life, there's a lot connected to the next life you're going to have and experience in heaven. It depends on how you act and conduct yourself here. Jesus prayed, he said he, he prayed more earnestly. Yeah, the blood's flowing on the ground. And he's praying more earnestly, fervently. The idea behind that is it's sincere and it's intense. Look, Pastor, you're a little, you're a little more intense than I'm used to, so just... Could you just lighten up? Well, sometimes I can. Sometimes I can't, you know. It just hits you. And that's really what it is. Your walk should mean more to you than anything else. Your walk with God should be the most important thing in your life. He knelt down and he prayed. The idea of humbling ourselves before. When's the last time you got on your knees? Now, some of you may, physically may not be able. I get that. But when, those of us who are able... When's the last time you got on your knees and you stuck your face in the, on the floor in the dirt and called upon God? This is what we're talking about. This means something to me. This is important to me. This is important to God. I want to do His will. He knelt down. He prayed. And it says that He did this three times. There's something about three times, isn't it? Jesus prayed three times the same thing. There's nothing wrong with repentance. Repetition in your prayers, that's important. Paul paid three times, right, for the, for the tent stake. 
Can you pull that out, Lord? <laughs> pull out the tent. It's a tent stake. It wasn't a sliver. It was a tent stake to keep him humble so he didn't become shipwrecked in his faith. He prayed three times. And then it dawned on him. And the Lord spoke to him. My grace is sufficient. There's something about three times that I think we should pay attention to. I think after you've prayed the same prayer, you should be examining your prayer and think something should be dawning on you. It should be coming to you. You should get a sense, spiritually speaking, this either is the will of God or it is not the will of God. And this is what we're after. Let's not forget the objective of our prayer life. This is God's will. So God is glorified. In this agony, in this surrender, in this hard place, the Lord made it known to Jesus, look, there's no other way. Son, remember, this is what we planned before you came here. Before you incarnated, this is, was the plan all along. We're not changing course. And I doubt if that happened like that, but I'm just saying, that's, the real, that's how it flowed. You think of the physical effects that some of us go through, the mental anguish, the agony, the spiritual warfare. You think it stopped after you got done praying? Well, I got that figured out. Okay, I'm just going to surrender here now. No, the spiritual warfare continued all the way up until his very last breath. The arrest, which we'll get into. We'll have to truncate this. I'm not going to get through the other paragraphs, but you'll be okay. We'll get it next week. The spiritual warfare, the arrest, the trial, the mockings, the ridicule, the beatings, all the way, the walk, the Via de Rosa, the walk up to the cross to get to Golgotha. The warfare that the nails in the hands and the feet, the taunting, the darkness, all the way up to his final breath. Psalm 22 would be a good time to read this maybe this week along with Isaiah 53 describes this spiritual warfare, this unseen realm activity that was taking place. The bulls of Bashan, what are they? Bashan was the headquarters for satanic worship. The bulls that were being offered, the demons were after Jesus. They were rejoicing that they were going to execute the Son of God. They're killing God. And the enemy is rejoicing at the thought of driving those nails in and Killing the Savior. It says there, the dogs surrounded him. Literally, the congregation of the wicked. Think of the taunts, the establishment, these ungodly, demon-possessed people that were making sure. You know, some people have this thing that persecution is probably going to come from the government. But I can tell you, I think it's not only the government, but, but it's going to come from the apostate church. We're so worried about, you know, FEMA camps and all these other crazy things that we have heard about. But where will persecution come for the true born-again, dedicated person to Christ? It usually comes from the religious people. The establishments are the, are the one who, who got the ball rolling, so to speak, to put Jesus on the cross. Read Revelation 16. The apostate church is drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the prophets. We're one of these great and precious promises, right? 
those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer what? Persecution. I don't want to hear that. Well, I don't either, but it's the truth. If you are living for the Lord and you're wanting God's will done and you want to bring glory to God and you're sticking to what's right and true, you're going to suffer persecution. That is going to happen. And there's nothing wrong with suffering that. I know people who get locked up for their faith, they're looked down upon. Oh, they must have, what a, he must be a criminal. We have we've got a government that's gone so sideways. The J6ers, I mean, those, what did they do wrong? I mean, come on. This is just the dogs, the demons, they influence the wicked. And then it says there in Psalm 22, the mouth of the lion was ready to devour him. You think Jesus is not sensing this unseen realm warfare? Stuff that we can't even begin to imagine how intense that warfare must have been. Those of you who have experienced spiritual warfare, under, take it beyond infinity of the pain and suffering that Jesus was going through at this time. But what kept him faithful was his eyes upon the Father. He's always in communion with his Father until one moment, one moment on that cross when he who knew no sin became sin. That was the only time that Jesus was alone. When he became our sin offering. And God, as it were, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's why. But the debt was paid. It is finished. It is complete. And to verify that, what happened in the temple? The veil was torn. Access to God was now possible. And it was torn from top to bottom, not bottom to the top. That thing was at least four inches thick by some historians, a woven cloth. There's no high priest in there, you know, cutting it, ripping it. Besides, it's 20 feet tall. That's an awful tall ladder to get in there to do that. The Holy Spirit tore that in witness to what happened on the cross. You talk about spiritual warfare. You talk about the Father paying attention to the prayers and the cries that he was lifting up to him. There was an earthquake. There was darkness. Oh, yeah. There's a great connection between the Father and the Son when he's on the cross. And God hears you when you're in pain, when it's hard for you. And I know it's been hard for some of you. I know. It's hard for all of us at some point in time. But prayers is the greatest defense. It's the greatest asset we have as believers, and we need to employ it. We're to use these off, this offensive weapon daily in our fight. If we're going to fight a good fight of faith, it's because we are prayer warriors. This is why our church prays. I don't want people to be uncomfortable on Sunday morning service when we pray. That should be Prayer to you should be as normal as breathing. The air is to our lungs, prayer is to our spiritual man. You will suffocate your spiritual man without prayer. And so it should become natural and normal. And you shouldn't feel uncomfortable. You'll get used to it. You really will. Next week we'll finish what I thought we would do this morning. But it's okay. Betrayal and then denial and then 
going on through the passion of Christ. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this encouragement to rekindle our prayer lives. Lord, it is one of the most important things in our lives, and we confess, Father, we haven't prayed enough. We're not as faithful as we should be. There's always room for improvement in our lives in this area, and we just ask that you would give us more grace, Lord. And just like the disciples, Lord, we're here before you as individuals, as this church body, and and just say, Lord, would you teach us to pray? Would you show us how to pray effectively, fervently? So, Lord, not only that we get results, but most importantly, that your will is done and that glory is brought to your holy name. Here we are. We give you our lives once again. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand? May the Lord bless you this week, be with you, bless you. Uh, as you go out and as you come in, you just be filled with the joy of the Lord as you walk with him this week. He's got great things in store for you as you seek him. God bless you.